everyone. My name's Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is the 120th episode of Make Ours Marvel, the podcast that is a journey through the superhero adventures in the Marvel Universe from their beginning with Fantastic Four number one and going until the cats take over the world. And in this issue, episode, whatever it is, we are finishing up the month of March 1966 with four comics count them kids one two three four um but it's kind of like five comics because tales of suspense 78 has two stories in it and then we also have amazing spider-man 37 the avengers 28 and the fantastic four 51 yay how you doing this is gonna be a fun episode i think because at least for me i haven't asked john yet because we find out this stuff together but i enjoyed all four of these issues quite a bit so I did too. I was actually thinking about um, my my likes and dislikes for the month, uh-huh. and I realized I couldn't yet. I was going to have to like go back through and think about all these issues because, honestly, with maybe a couple of exceptions, this has been a pretty solid month. It has, and usually having an episode that's got consistently good books in it is kind of rare too. So always fun. So I guess we're starting out with our twofer. Mm-hmm. That's uh, Tales of Suspense. 78 featuring Iron Man and Captain America. Yep. And the cover has Captain America and Nick Fury. So it's like a threefer. Wow. We should just start calling this cast of characters in this book them. I them. mean, that's just a nice generic t- uh, team name. Which is, you know, his entails of suspense. Oh, yeah, them. Well, in this case, that's literally true. That is literally true. Okay. But before we get to them, we're going to talk about <laughs> him. <laughs> Right. <laughs> Him being the invincible Iron Man in Crescendo, a mighty Marvel masterpiece of mounting menace. Spectacular story by Stan Lee. Pace setting penciling by Gene Colan. Have we had Gene Colan by name before this? Did we have him last episode? We did because we talked about, or we tried to figure out why he decided to be braver and we kind of didn't oh, really Oh, that's right because he does the uh, Namor strip right now. Right. Yes. So Indescribable was first. inking by Gary Michaels and Lonesome Lettering Aww. by Artie Simic. Out there on the range, all alone, like a cowboy, lettering mm-hmm. comics. Yeah. Ultimo lives. Ultimo, the largest, most destructive android of all time. And only Iron Man stands between the murderous mountain man thing and the possible destruction of half the human race. All right, so Ultimo, like they said, is this giant android that has just arisen out of a volcano. He is kind of King Kong size. He's fighting Iron Man, and um, they fight for a long time. Mandarin's watching it on TV, um, looking to see if anything interesting happens in the course of the fight. He throws Ultimo in a volcano, the same volcano Ultimo came out of, but he like sets the volcano off. So it starts erupting him and consuming him with the lava. Mandarin's like, oh, he killed my android. So um, let's see what else. Mandarin does not retaliate against Iron Man. Iron Man goes, I think he's just trying to get out of China and get back to the States. Mm -hmm. So he goes to a nearby military base and Amazing Spider-Man 1 style beats up the guards and co-ops a plane. Mm Mm-hmm. Then he flies home and he finds that Stark Industries is closed and deserted. And the newspapers, including the Daily Bugle, are talking about how it's been shut down by government order. So his entire life has been shifted into 
disaster. Next issue, disaster. Yeah, a lot doesn't happen in this story. And yet it's one of those, right? It's a good story. But yeah, there's like, I think there's like three pages of Iron Man just talking about how he's trying to get away. Yeah. And he, and he has to like time this perfectly and he doesn't say what this is. And then finally, like on page four, he times it to where like, where, uh, what's his name? Ultimo. Mm-hmm. Ultimo shoots his Superman laser beams and it hits just the volcano in just the right place to make it explode. So there was like this big setup that took a little too long, maybe. Yeah. And there's a lot of narrating the fight. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I'm reading image comics for uh, all the pouches, there's a lot of times where it's just like fight narration. Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's kind of the standard with a lot of early 90s images, just a bunch and bunch of action with trash talk as they go. And mm-hmm. that's kind of what this is for a lot of pages. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's beautiful. The action mm-hmm. looks fantastic. Ultimo is actually pretty well realized as a massive form. Mm-hmm. There's just something about the way he carries himself that communicates weight and size. We get this really cool splash page on page three. Mm. That's like, um, I don't know how to explain that, but you know when you can see a character's moving? Uh, right. It's like uh, like cinematic or something. I don't know what I'm trying to Ditko say. Ditko sort of does that a lot with Spider-Man. We have five yeah. different Iron Men on this as he's getting away from Ultimo's mm. Superman I-beams. Yeah, that's pretty neat. Um, but yeah, it's like Ultimo kind of just came and went, I guess. But the whole point of him is to have uh, Tony Stark miss his court date. So he accomplished that mission. He got zapped away from his car ride with Senator Bird, And Senator mm-hmm. Bird's like, you know what? That's the last straw. He's done. Mm-hmm. I, like, um, I like Mandarin's line on page five. In my infinite benevolence, I end the battle quickly for my doomed victim. Henceforth, <laughs> never shall any say of the Mandarin that he is totally merciless. And I'm just like kind of wondering what conversation he's imagining. Wow, that Mandarin is merciless. He used a giant android to kill Iron Man. Well, he isn't totally merciless. He gave Iron Man a quick death. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. The Mandarin isn't totally merciless. <laughs> Yeah, and I like how his idea of benevolence is to increase the dude's power to the ultimate intensity so that the fight won't last as long. Right, right, right. You'll die quickly, my enemy. Yeah, see? How benevolent. Um, are we okay with Iron Man stealing a plane because he stole it from the communist government? Is that is that why it's okay? Or does he, should he not be stealing planes? Hmm, I didn't really think about that. I mean, James Bond does it all the time. Uh... I guess it's okay because they're the enemy. Sure. I kind of, that's kind of some of my favorite scene in the story is like he can't fly anymore. He's low on power, but he's still strong enough to like invade an airbase and punch people out and be bulletproof. And even if he were full power, would that really be enough to get across the Pacific Ocean? I'm thinking probably right. not, but right. they don't even bother a, to address that. He needs Mandarin's uh, laser beam. Yeah, is actually, he, he, he has not, I think in all the Mandarin stories, he has not, under his own power, flown back home. There's always been a rocket or a, Something or other, right? Right, I think so. He doesn't do that yet. I think pretty soon he'll be able to do that. I think he actually like sleeps in his armor while he's doing that. Like he's on a long distance flight. Puts on a pilot and just snoozes across the ocean. Mm-hmm. Hope we don't run into a bird. Um, he uses his Avengers priority in this. Yeah. Which is either a first or at least still a rarity. But like he's not currently an Avenger. So what do the bylaws say about that? That's a good question. Maybe he's always an Avenger when it comes to 
Avengers security clearance. Or he's still paying for the Avengers, so he's an Avenger. Uh, or, yeah, I guess if anyone's going to take the fringe benefits of you know Avengers or reserve status, it's going to be Tony Stark because he's banking them. Or once an Avenger, always an Avenger. But that's not a good way to go because what if an Avenger becomes weird or evil? You really ought to revoke that clearance probably. Right, right. Um, sorry about the phones, everybody. I don't know what's going on with that, but I'm just going to ignore them because it's probably Google trying to get me to update my listing or something. Mm. Um, uh, 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 what else was I going to say? I was just going to say um, – I don't know. I had some ideas on the whole shutdown thing, but now I can't remember what they are. Well, it, it, it's sad. I mean, he got arrested and uh-huh. then teleported away against his will. Yeah. And then he finally makes his way back home and finds that everything ha- he has built his entire life has now been taken from him. Yes. Which we've had this before. like they've, Or at least they've threatened to not work with him before. The government. Mm-hmm. Like that's a... That's a that's a, a Tony Stark drama subplot all the time. Him losing his contracts, but now he's legit shut down. So I wonder how how reaching they can be about that. Like, can they close his bank accounts and stuff, or they just shut down his warehouse? But he's still rich. I don't know. I am kind of curious about that too. Like, this is in in theory at least this is a private industry. So how can they just close him? He says that's all my good money has been impounded. My oh. factories are shut down. There's a warrant out for my arrest. They have seized his assets. So I guess that's legal because he ignores a summons? A senatorial or? congressional summons? Maybe. That seems fishy. I mean, you're dealing with the highest levels of government. So I guess if anyone's going to be able to do it, they can. But it does seem like a bit too much power. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. If there's any lawyers listening, you know, write in. Tell us if we're right or wrong about that, because that seems a little bonkers, but that's okay. No, no, no. Don't tell us. Tell them. Right. Them. By the way, can you tell already how this the, this name of this team is not going to last because it's just impossible? And I hate it whenever it's the subject of a sentence, right? Like, if I want to say something about them, I've got uh-huh. to work it into where I'm not saying them is or them are, because that doesn't are. make sense. Them went to the stole. Yeah. And it'd be okay, because normally, you know, we talk about them, then we say they the next sentence, except this is a proper name. Yeah. Uh, anyways, who says this is in the Marvel Age of startling story beginnings and awkward grammar? To be memorized by heart. <laughs> I just went on to the next story. I assume that was okay. Yes, that's fine with me. <laughs> Wondrous Words by Stan Lee. Awesome Art by Jack Kirby. Incredible Inking by Frank Jacoya. Lopsided Lettering by Artie Simic. So he's lonesome and lopsided today. Yeah. Okay, um, Captain America is just doing one of his danger room exercise routines when suddenly Nick Fury shows up. He's like, wait a second, you can't be here. These things are dangerous because like bombs are being thrown at him. So Nick Fury just like catches one and it sizzles his hand. They're not like explosive bombs or like electrocution bombs. And he's like, yeah, that didn't feel good. Um, anyway, he pulls out the little bitty brain from the Strange Tales issue last month, last episode. And he's like, hey, we captured this from an agent of a secret organization known only as them. Mm. If this gizmo was dropped in a hydroponic tank of chemicals, it would have grown into the real thing. Kind of like those little foam dinosaurs that you put in the bath. And they turn into real dinosaurs. Um, not really. That's not how my bath toys worked. Maybe yours did. 
In any case, as Fury is talking, an ominous vehicle lands in the street outside of Avengers headquarters. And this robot looking dude, this humanoid with a bunch of like tubes on his chest walks out. He's able to hiss his way right through the wall with acid. Um, Captain America and Nick Fury are talking about the tiny brain while this thing barges into their room and starts shooting them with uh, fire coming out of its fingers. It's like, okay, time to team up and work up against this guy. Um, They put the fire extinguisher on him, but he de-ices from that pretty quickly. Uh, Let's see. There's, there's, there's the more fighting while they're fighting. We see that they're being observed by people in yellow beehive outfits. Mm. This is them. And they're cooking a whole lake full of more of these Android things. A, um, a battalion of them. So they a clone sent this, army, if you will. Yes. They sent this particular humanoid against Captain America. So it's still fighting Cap and Nick. But together, they're able to finally knock it down. They stick a pellet down its throat and it's one of those uh, shield knockout drops and um, while it's down it uh, reverts back to like a basic clay form like a withered dry root and Cap and Nick are like huh that was crazy Cap's like yeah so I don't really know anything about that brain or about them and he's like don't worry about it here let's shake hands and while he's shaking Cap's hand he slips him a priority A1 shield badge next time you want to reach me won't be so hard to do so. Yeah. Next issue, the return of the Red Skull. So not that Johnny Ramita isn't awesome, but Jack Kirby is back on Captain America Tales of Suspense. Guest starring yes. Nick Fury. Come on. Yes. That's pretty awesome. That's pretty amazing. And the last time we saw these two teamed up was Sergeant Fury 13, uh-huh. which is, I don't know if for, I don't remember if it was still bi-monthly then or if it had gone monthly yet, but yeah. we just did issue 30. So that's yeah. at least 17 months ago, year and a half ago. And, and guess who came back to draw on that one, too? Jack so, Kirby. So maybe when Nick Fury and Captain America are in the same story, Jack Kirby's like, I want that one. That's mine. Yep. And he can probably just claim whatever he wants. Uh, yeah, it was cool. Um, 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 Cap does mention he was trying to get in touch with Nick, but does he say anything about the letter he wrote? He said, I tried to contact you for months to see if there was a place for me in your outfit. So okay. it was a cool little fall, uh, callback to that. And then he decided, nah, now nah, I'm too much into the Avengers to abandon them at this point, even though Hawkeye is still a big jerkhead. Well, and he wrote that letter like before the team roster change. No, I thought it was right after, wasn't it? It, it was right before his issue 15. Oh, he heard, he, get- he may have heard back after because he threatened to leave and they were all like shocked that he was going to abandon them so quickly. Yeah, yeah. He, they thre- yeah, yeah. I threatened to leave. Um, that was like around, around issue 19 or 20. Mm-hmm. And then after the, because the swordsman was the one who faked him out. And then after that whole thing played out, we never heard about the letter again. Right. I guess he got over it. And now but he's a yeah. like proper leader of the team. And he's also officially established as whatever he is with shield. It's never really clear, but he, I guarantee you will have plenty of missions that are all inspired by shield. Yeah. He's going to, I mean, whatever his relationship is with them, it's, it's long lasting. He works for or with them in some form or another. I never really got if like he gets a paycheck from that or something, or if he's just like willing to lend a hand when they ask him to, or what. It seems like he's got. Well, he does have clearance. He literally just got a clearance badge, but an A one's pretty good, I think. Better than you know Z ten. 
Those guys. <laughs> those guys get nothing. Well, the last time Captain America got something like that was a 4F, so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right. That wasn't good either. So this is them. Is this, like, honoring the unknown gender identity of the supervillains? Or is it actually treating gender-neutral pronouns like supervillains? I don't know which, but uh, Nick Fury needs to know that gender-neutral pronouns are not supervillains. I think neither of those options occurred to anybody <laughs> making this story. <laughs> that wasn't even on their wavelength, I imagine. But Well, it should be. Gosh, I think it's it. more <laughs> about just making them mysterious and evil. I want to take our 21st social dynamics and enforce them on the 1960s. <laughs> right, right. This opening splash page, I swear, is on a lunchbox or something because I've seen that image a billion times. At least the cat part. They always extract the... Uh, the uh, Star Wars orbs and Nick Fury, but it does feel very classic. And like, there's something about the shape of Cap's head, even that just feels. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's not too blocky. It's not too lean. It's not a Starenko, uh image, but it also feels a bit more, yeah. a bit more slender than Fury normally draws Cap. Then yeah, I don't know. I'm sorry, than the Kirby normally draws Cap. Speaking of Fury, I like that line He when he grabs the thing and Cap's like, don't touch it. And he grabs it and it's like, ah, see, I'm, the whole point is like, if you get hit by him, you get shocked. That's the game. And I'm surprised you didn't pass out. And he's like, me, I ain't the fainting type. <laughs> <laughs> okay, tough guy. Um, so I was writing, I didn't realize that we we're actually going to get to see who them are. Mm. Um, but they do get described on page three as a bunch of evil scientists. Right. It's like, okay, so by now, future readers who know their Marvel should be able to figure out what this is building to. And we still don't get their name. Well, so here's the thing though. I mean, the yellow guys, I don't know if we want to spoil it for people who don't know, but the yellow guys have eventually have a different name, but I always thought of them as kind of more neutral. will work for whoever, as long as they get to have their experiments and do their fun, evil science. Right. Right. Whereas them seemed at least initially in these Nick Fury books, like some sort of organization is trying to take over something. I think maybe they had delusions of grandeur early on and then realized they weren't quite up to the task. Okay. Cause even in here, they're like, uh, the attack of shield or we had Mentolo attack shield on our behalf, but never again will we be guilty of such a mistake. Like they want to, well, they are, they're, they're picking a fight with captain Nick right now. Just, I guess to see if their robot is awesome. Well, you know, there's so many, I, so many comic book, stories that use the trope of the renegade scientists bent on world domination. Mm-hmm. So this is just like a team of those guys. Yeah. But I think eventually they, they stop being so all about, uh, uh, you know, glory and more just about wanting money. But I don't and know. I'll be honest. When we first started talking about them, we just saw them in the shadows. I thought this was building back to a Hydra rev- revival. Now I don't uh, know when Hydra gets revived. No, I knew them and aim were somehow related and I guess it's just an interchangeable name at this point. I don't know. Right. Um, the monster was okay. The robot, I mean, it was kind of interesting. It had like all these different chemicals that it could create all these different things. I feel like it's a precursor to the adaptoid. Yeah. Like, so there we go. There we go again. also makes the adaptoid. I feel like maybe it's hmm. like, maybe that's, that story is closer than it, I thought it was. That's going to spin out of the story. I don't know. Could be. Maybe they'll literally reference the story when they bring him up. Maybe not. But we could just headcanon that this is a prototype. What's funny is that on top of page seven, they say that these suits they're currently wearing are um, temporary. Oh. Sooner or later, the head of S.H.I.E.L.D. must die. 
And with that organization leader, this will be able to come out in the open. Until then, we've got to continue to wear these ornate trappings to strike fear and dread to the hearts of those who serve us and who oppose uh-huh. us alike. So, like, they're just wearing these suits until they take over. And I guess since they haven't taken over yet, the suits still have their purpose. But, yeah, they're supposed to be temporary suits. And what else is interesting is them so far has been a nefarious shadow of, like, maybe three people. And then even in this, when they're in their suits, there's only, like, two people. So it's not like a big, you know, 20-person organization or anything. Maybe it's these oh, same so it's guys. Like, like Lex Luthor and his friend or something. Yeah. Maybe that's the initial concept. I thought they were wearing the suits because they're doing, like, androids and chemical baths. That sort of made sense to wear suits. But yeah. I don't know. Um, oh, I know what it was. I know yeah. what it was. I know what – I just realized why I, I rechanged the order. Hmm. Um, on page nine, Captain America references an Avenger who is currently not on the team, but will be by the time this episode is over. Who? One Where of the Avengers is a biochemist. Oh, I did. I did catch that. Yeah. But the thing is, even in that issue, he's not necessarily an Avenger Avenger yet, is he? I mean, he is, but he isn't. But we'll find out, I guess. Yeah, I, w- I would think he is. I think he's like back on the team. Maybe he hasn't said I'm on the team, but... Hmm. Um, that could also just go back to the Iron Man also still has a one clearance and they talk about him all the time when it comes to their answering machine. So maybe they have access to giant man, whatever they need biochemistry done. Maybe, or something. maybe, maybe they have a way to reach him. Yeah. I was kind of under the impression that they didn't, but maybe they do. Yeah, they might not. But that's the I last like, thing I had for this issue. I liked how the fight was like, I mean, Nick Fury definitely held his own, but that cap held his own more, which is good because it's a cap book. Um, and also, Cap, Cap is more capable. I mean, at the end of the day, Cap yeah. is way more capable than, than Nick. Nick Fury should be an awesome fighter and do well, but not be Cap's level. I kind of was like, I suddenly figured he had a mouth just like anyone else. So I popped that pill down his throat and it worked. And it's like, mm, but he's also a robot, not like anybody else. So I guess it's good that it worked, but <laughs> I don't know if yeah. it's a given that it would work. There's nothing saying that he has a GI tract. <laughs> right. It was Actually, just like a standard biological pill that they use on real people. So, based on everything we see about this this uh, android, it really shouldn't have worked. <laughs> he knocks out and turns into a withered dry root as his basic form. Right. He seems to be like lacking organs, but right. So I don't know. That's yeah, all right. That definitely should not have worked. <laughs> they could have. They could have just rewrote the dialogue to be like some sort of mini bomb or something that blew up his insides. I don't know. Anyway, otherwise, I like that story. That was a good one. All right. Should we do something a bit more amazing? Amazing. Not that that wasn't amazing enough, but, you know. Well, let's see if this is more amazing or less. I don't know. Ditko has not been uh, putting all his energy into this lately, so we'll see. Amazing Spider-Man number 37, Once Upon a Time, There Was a Robot. Oh, boy. I think we just read that story. (laughs) Uh, Keenan said the same thing. It's the only caption is we hate to brag, but this one's a doozy. Edited and written by Stan Lee, plotted and drawn by Steve Ditko, lettered and cherished by Artie Semek. We open with a dude that we don't know. It's uh, Lex who, Luthor, dude. Yeah, it's basically Lex Luthor, but he calls himself Professor Strom, and if you call him anything else, he gets mad and says, just call me the professor. Eh. But he's being released from jail, and now we can take his revenge. Revenge on who? We don't know yet. There's a guy outside waiting for him, though, to drive him, and... Meanwhile, there's also Foswell. Remember that guy? He's spying in the woods. And then just to get more comical, there's someone behind Foswell 
who's like, oh, this guy must be a stoolie. I'm going to shoot him. Even more comical behind that guy is Spider-Man. And Spider-Man knocks him out before he can shoot Foswell. And he says, what are you doing here? And the guy's like, oh, I was just hoping to get in good graces with the professor. So I was following. And when I saw that stoolie guy, I was going to just shoot him and maybe the professor would like me. So he's like, well, that's stupid. Let me borrow your fedora, because that's awesome, Spider-Man wearing a fedora. Let me web you in your car, and let's go follow this professor guy. So they do that, but they get interrupted by the police because the dude apparently stole the car they're using, and the police noticed. So Spidey just leaves him to his fate and, like, you know, twips out. And it's like, oh, well, I lost the professor, big deal. Uh, we cut to Foz, or, you know, Peter's at the Daily Bugle, he laments that Betty seems to still not be there. There's another secretary. So there's like every time he goes there, there's a new secretary, but it's not Betty. Foswell shows up and he's like, hey, J. Jonah Jameson, this guy, Professor Storm, used to be my – Strom used to be my ex-cellmate. And I think he's up to no good. Do you want me to follow him around, see if I can get some scoops or something? And Jay's like, yeah, yeah, sure, great. Spidey puts a tracer in uh, Foswell's hat and uh, goes about his day – which involves him like sort of flirting but also hating on uh, Gwen, which sort of works and also doesn't work. At some point, she says, you're the worst, and tries to smack him, but he blocks it, at which point Flash jumps in and says, hey, you hurt her because she said ow or something. And he's just like, yeah, yeah, see you later because he's not really scared, but he also can't fight Flash because he'd punch Flash's head off, right? So the professor guy makes a robot, and it's like a weird ball with squishy tentacles it looks like a stress ball kind of and it goes and starts like breaking into things oh it goes to get its revenge so it goes to this building that we don't know and it breaks in and starts destroying stuff and it makes things go on fire spider-man smells the smoke so he goes to confront the thing's actually much stronger than its silly look looks and next thing you know, he's wrapped up in all these tentacles and the thing's crushing him to death and his only option is to jump into the flames in hopes that it makes the robot Get off him, which is what happens. The robot escapes uh, and Spider-Man escapes. And we cut to the professor going, well, that was round one. But if I've learned anything from Incredibles, I now make a round two. So he makes an even better robot. Uh, But we cut to who he was attacking. And it turns out it was Harry Osborn, his dad. Harry Osborn has a dad? Wait, wait. Am I getting this right? Yes, Harry Osborne's dad, Norman, right? Yeah. Do they say Norman, though? I don't know. I don't think they ever named him Norman in this. <clears throat> okay, well, it's Harry Osborne's dad, Harry Osborne's <laughs> dad. They have the same haircut. Everybody knows it. Um, and he's thinking to himself, like, how Professor Strom, like, he cheated Professor Strom out of one of his inventions. And then I'm sorry about that. Jonah totally calls him Norman several times. Okay. So he's thinking to himself and not anybody else that, like, he totally, like, cheated Professor Strom out of an invention. And then when Professor Strom tried to, like, railroad him about it he somehow conned the police into arresting him and that's why he's been in jail all these years and now he's out for revenge he doesn't say that out loud though and he basically just agrees with J. Jonah Jameson that it's all Spider-Man's fault uh Spider-Man goes to track Foswell Foswell meanwhile has turned into Patch you know that dumpy uh Wolverine version um so he follows that instead uh Patch finds a couple like you know, stoolies who lead him in the right direction. He finds the secret lab. Uh, the the thug that, like, gave the professor a ride home catches Foswell snooping around and brings him inside. 
And Spider-Man watches this whole thing. He also watches the new robot kind of walk out. So step one is he puts a spider tracer on that. Then he goes inside to help Foswell escape. Um, the robot attacks Norman in his office and actually talks, or the professor can talk through it because the professor's like controlling it with a headgear and stuff. And he's like, I'm going to destroy everything in your whole building and then kill you last. So Norman's like coming over the plant. Oh, he's like, oh, I got a, plenty of time to figure out what to do then. But Spider-Man interferes, which actually annoys Norman because he apparently had some nefarious plan to get out of this problem. And Norm- and Spider-Man being a witness is just going to get in the way. So as they're fighting, as Spider-Man and the robot are fighting, Norman punches him in the – punches Spider-Man in the back or behind the head. Uh, and it knocks Spider-Man out. And the robot thinks Spider-Man is dead, so it walks right past him. And then Spider-Man wakes up and goes, wow, some debris must have hit me really hard or something. Uh, and then he confronts the robot some more. And this time he goes all out. He grabs the robot by the legs. He smacks it around like a pinata. Uh, I guess the robot went back to the professor's laboratory because that's where they are. Uh, the professor then picks up the robot's head and uses it as, a, as like a pew-pew gun. Uh, but Spider-Man easily destroys that. Um, and just when he's about to arrest the professor or web him up or whatever he does... He suddenly senses that there's like a gun because there is a gun pointing through the window to kill the professor. So Spider-Man like pushes the professor out of the way, I think maybe, or the professor got shot. I don't remember which. He looks like he got shot. But anyway, Spider-Man goes after the shooter, doesn't find him, and he's like, wow, how did he escape so fast? That's craziness. We cut back to Norman and Harry and J. Jonah Jameson being all smug and happy. J. Jonah Jameson's like, I knew it was that professor robot guy the whole time. Uh, then we cut to Norman Osborn stroking the gun that he used to maybe kill the professor. I'm still not sure. And Spider-Man is thinking, who was that guy with the gun? How did he get away from me so fast? How did I get knocked out? What is going on? And he's thinking all these things as he walks past his classmates who once again now think he's stuck up and snobby because he doesn't pay attention to what they're saying to him. The end. Yeah. So whatever I've said, you know, disparaging things about the latter part of Ditko's run. Mm-hmm. In my mind, this is the one issue that's like an exception. Yep. Because yep. I was not looking forward to it because we've had like a bunch of eh lately. And the cover doesn't set you up for something yes. super awesome. No. The cover's like, oh gosh, this looks like a molten mad only worse kind of thing, right? Yeah, but it's a pretty solid issue. And the fact yeah, that it is. this is also like the really, the last really big puzzle police playing moment of... Well, I can't say the mystery without giving it away at this point, but a mystery that's been dangling in this series that's going to get resolved in two issues. You know what's weird is I was literally, before I read this, literally this morning thinking how weird it's been that they've not brought that up lately. Because mm-hmm. you'd think that was a big deal that they would have brought up more and more and more, and instead they just dropped it completely, it seemed like. I want to say it was issue 26 or 27, whenever he last ran into Goblin. And yeah. um, Goblin said he was going to be, he was going to like, rally his forces and get himself together. And the next time he went after Spider-Man, it was going to be a really big deal. Uh-huh. And so 10 months ago. Right. That's crazy. Talk about a loose end that, I mean, I don't think they do that in the Silver Age, do they? At least these early issues. Like when something is brought up, it's resolved. And they just let it linger. And all these and people reading this back in 1960-whatever are like, what's going on with that guy? This is probably, I mean, Hobgoblin's mystery was stretched out for a really long time. And I'm not going to say which one is better, 
but this was definitely a much more of the exception to the rule in the 60s. Mm-hmm. To have a subplot mystery dangling this long that's yeah. not resolved, but it's consistently built. Yeah. It's a pretty big deal. It is. Um, I joke that this is Lex Luthor because every single thing about Professor Strom screams Lex Luthor. Mm-hmm. I mean, he might, this might as well just be Spider-Man versus Luthor. I mean, except that for his, he just wants petty revenge versus like trying to take over the world. But yeah, but a lot of times Luthor is just out for revenge against Superman. Oh. I mean, this is a, well, yeah, this is a revenge against Norman. But you know, mm-hmm. um, yeah. and Max Young might as well be Otisberg. <laughs> right. This beginning did kind of make me laugh because it's like a guy behind a guy behind a guy behind a guy. It was like, fantastic. If that's the, <laughs> if that's if that's the one weakness is like they don't really explain why Spider Man's even there, but we could just assume he's following foswell for no reason or just because he looks suspicious that day or something yeah yeah just you know whatever he's just there he's just vibe and then he puts on the hat and it's the cutest thing ever yeah see that's what just made it all better the hat because i was sitting there going what's spider-man doing there and then it's like oh never mind who cares he's got a fedora so there's something that ditko is doing in his facial depictions Mm -hmm. that is both i guess probably laudable but also detrimental Mm. He is saying, hey, look, there are definitely black characters in this room. So please, you know, don't make them white people. These are black people. But he's doing it with line work oh. and by drawing lines across their faces. Mm-hmm. So when they get colored in, and, and unfortunately, we're still using grays instead of browns. But now they look like, I don't know, they look like, like gray skin people with a bunch of mess on their face. Yeah. So it doesn't really work well. No. They haven't figured that out yet, I guess. I mean, my understanding is that pages of art are usually often crowded with notes about what's going on in the panels. Mm-hmm. So you could just say, hey, that guy there. Yeah. I guess they could have. But I don't know. I miss Veronica. Oh, yeah. She's gone. She's just gone. Now there's a different Betty. <laughs> or a different Veronica or something. <laughs> well... I think yeah. it's funny though that like they're going through secretaries. Like the person mm-hmm. who showed up at the end of last issue is not present at the beginning of this issue. Yeah, so she was irreplaceable apparently. Right, right, right. Oh, Gwen. Kina like, wants to know. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Kina wants to know how people don't realize that they have spider tracers in their clothing. Well, it is in the band of his hat. I mean, I don't really wear hats, but if I did, would I touch that very often? I don't know. And isn't this like the second or third time he's stuck a spider in the band of his hat? And by the way, this went nowhere because he switched hats when he turned to the patch guy. So it didn't really work anyway. Right. I kind of like that. That was a storytelling thing. It's just like, Mm. that's, that's a normal thing to have happen. You Mm -hmm. you tag somebody's clothes. Well, then they change clothes and you're stuck. Yeah. Yeah. What'd you think of the uh, Gwen scene? She's still not really the Gwen I can think I think of as Gwen yet, so it's kind of yeah. weird. Like it kind of it's funny though. Like I don't know, maybe it is a little cliche, but like when he he want he shows interest in her, and then she like gives him trouble for it because she's bitter at this point, and he doesn't put her on a pedestal, but instead is like, "Boy, you're just silly," and kind of treats her like a sister. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't like – she seemingly doesn't like that. But at the same time, she finds herself defending him to every other guy who, uh, you know, uh, jabs at him afterwards. And she's thinking to herself, gosh, why am I doing this? I don't even like him. So she does like him. So I guess what he did kind of worked. 
Yeah, not but, entirely sure know. how I feel about his whole, like, just putting off her anger like it doesn't even matter to him. Mm-hmm. It's weird. But um, her anger is, I mean, not that feelings aren't all justified and blah, 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 but, like, her anger is kind of silly because she's only mad at him because he didn't, like, roll around with her or whatever she said earlier. <laughs> she didn't give didn't her a roll. tumble. <laughs> he didn't give her a tumble. It's like he doesn't have to give her a tumble. Why does that mean she has to be mad at him? And now that he is, now that he's noticing her, she's like, you didn't notice me soon enough. Oh, and you ran away from the bad guy last issue. Now, she notices that. Okay, so that's the thing to bring up. Last issue, she noticed that he ran away. This issue, she noticed that he didn't accept Flash's challenge, but she also was certain he wasn't scared of Flash. So in her mind, she's building a picture. She's building something. He ran from the one guy, but I'm pretty sure he wasn't the least bit scared of Flash. Uh. Yeah. So she's noticing him more than he realizes, which may be, or may not be a good thing for him. I noticed you noticing me. Yep. When I bring it to your notice, I noticed you back. Then we've got the um, amoeboid, or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> it's a stress ball. Yeah, with tentacles that stick I mean, to the wall. It's cool. It doesn't really scream robot to me, but it doesn't have to, I guess. It is a robot. Yeah, the, the next guy is much, much more robot-y. Yes. Okay, and and then we, we, okay so... Do we call this the first appearance? Because not really, right? This is the first appearance of Norman Osborn as Norman Osborn. Yeah. So that was cool. Like if we uh, if we wanted to do a Wikipedia entry of the other character, we'd have to say first appearance as that character and first appearance as Norman Osborn. Now I'm curious to say to see like whether they actually do that sort of differential thing on Wikipedia. First if appearance. If they didn't, oh, I think I'm I'll not going to say it out loud. But yeah, they do. They break it up. Okay, good. So that's cool. He's super rude to Harry. Oh, he hates his son. Damn. Mm-hmm. Harry, don't you ever shut up. It's none of your blasted business. Now, that's a smart boy you've got, Norman. I like the way he sums up the situation. He'll go far. He should. He should. Like, did that was that just dripping sarcasm, or did I read it that way because I felt like it? I, I think it was, but also Jonah's like overpraising Harry for saying something very normal. We've I know got to do something. Yeah, that's that. Look at that kid; he's really smart. So was that Jay Jonah Jameson being sarcastic, or was he kissing Norman's butt? You know, okay. So there's this meme going around. I don't know if you've watched the new Star Girl series. No, Star Girl in the Star Girl series is convinced that Starman was her dad, mm-hmm. whether he is her dad or, or not. They don't really address directly. And mm-hmm. I haven't read the comics, so I don't know. But she, in the first several episodes, takes every single opportunity she can to say, Star, uh, Starman is my dad. So there is this meme of the whole fragment of no one, not a single soul, Stargirl saying, Stargirl, Starman is my dad. Uh-huh. So I feel like J. Jonah Jameson, you know, nobody says anything. Not a single soul. And Jameson's like, Norman Osborn and I are in the same club. Yeah. He did say that like 15 times. 75 times in this issue. <laughs> he does. So I assume Norman Osborn is rich, in which case that's probably why Jameson is sucking up to him, I would assume. I think it's also Ditko's way of saying, hey, go back and look at the issues where Jana Jameson is in a club. Oh, You'll yeah. You'll see this guy there. Yeah, that's right. That's also, right. every single one of those issues has the same supervillain. Oh, yeah. That's a weird coincidence, huh? Yeah, right, right. That's just, that's just crazy. Yeah. Um, let's see. Osborne is one, uh, Osborne Foswell is once again doing the whole patch thing. And people are like catching on to it. They're not willing to talk to him because they know he's a stoolie. Uh huh. He needs to come up with a new, like put the patch on the other eye or something. Right, right. Or start calling people bub. 
Call himself Winky. <laughs> Winky, Blinky, and Patch. <laughs> he could have three, yeah. <laughs> and Spider-Man like, puts him in a room and says, you just stay there while I go and catch the bad guys. Now, I wonder if anybody back in the day was reading this and thinking, boy, how did a normal guy like Norman Osborn knock Spider-Man out cold for 15 minutes? Yeah, how did that happen? And why how would Norman Osborn have so much negative motivation towards Spider-Man? I yeah. mean, come on. And how did he escape from that window with the rifle so fast? Wow. How did he even get okay. up there? So that's that's kind of like the big thing. Like everything else in this issue doesn't really directly relate to that. But the ending where he shoots Strom from a window, but mm-hmm. it's like a high up window that he immediately disappears from. A, how did he access it? And mm-hmm. B, where did he go? Mm-hmm. And those are questions. And you won't know the answers for two more issues. But once you do, it's like, oh, that makes total sense. But was it that that way we're talking about? I don't know why we're so hell bent on making this a spoiler, but let's keep doing it. <laughs> I don't mind. I don't mind keep doing it. It's just silly because, you know, everybody knows. But anyway, let's just not say it. But weren't we talking about or you talking about how like Ditko versus Stan had different ideas or something? Okay, so, or was that yeah. not about this character? That is about this character. I, I, I'm going to go into that when we get to issue 39. Okay, we can put a but pin. Basically, in that, there's there's fan myth about okay. this plot point because that, I feel like they're really saying what's going on at this point. Exactly. For some reason, fan myth for a long time was that Lee and Ditko disagreed on this, but Doesn't this seem is like definitely it. the story that Ditko was building. Yeah, I mean, there's really no other answer unless there is. I guess there could have been no. any number of answers, but whatever. Yeah. It seemed like he was on board, but okay. Um, Mendel Strom gets killed. Okay, so he did get killed. It's it's like hard to figure out because it's like he says, look out. It looks like he's successfully pushing him, but then the next picture looks like he's in pain. And at no point does Spider-Man then follow up with, oh, my God, he's dead. Really? Well, there's a little, um, there's a little oh, bit of like lines. He does say he's dead. Looks like it a heart attack to me. he's dead because he had a heart attack. But oh, come on. But as, as Josh Bertoni said on our Amazing Spider-Man Classics podcast, his heart stopped beating whenever a bullet went into it. <laughs> I totally agree with that. This is another one of those cases where like the art and the words are not gelling because I think mm-hmm. the, the word people are trying to make this more G-rated or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, there are little, there are little uh, something lines around the muzzle of the rifle in that fifth panel. So it – there's not like a line of the bullet's progress, or maybe there was a line that got redone or something, but it definitely looks like he gets shot. There's every indication the dude gets shot here. It's like the sleeper story where those 28 Nazis definitely get blown up, but every single one of them are just like taking a nap. Right. Or something. Definitely. It's weird. Yeah. And as we wrap up, Jameson's like, yes, we're in the same club. And then <laughs> says, yep. And then Spider-Man's like, oh my gosh, they're in the same club. How could they be in the same? I love how throughout this entire thing, Osborne has not actually confronted Strom face to face. He was attacked by a robot. So he has complete deniability on the last issue. He's like, oh, the poor guy. I had forgotten all about him. Well, evidently he hadn't forgotten about you. Yeah. It's pretty clever. Peter's going to have major problems with all these really, really, really judgy classmates of his. Like, yeah. Every time he doesn't hear what they say, they're, let's write him off forever. Right. Wow. And, oh, I was going to mention this. She brings up his scholarship. Oh, Have yeah. we talked about on the show how scholarships aren't normally public knowledge? And she brings it up like, 
like it's a uh, thing he brags about or something? Or what yeah, did like you could be the scholarship winner, but you're not the you know. Don't think you're all hot snot in a silver platter. You're right. What do we but think I of him love- hurting her? I mean, he kind of doesn't. He kind of does. He kind of does. Um, she tries to slap him. She does. And he catches the slap, and it hurts her. Yeah, so there's so definitely like, a physical altercation there of a small degree that you can see somebody misreading from a distance. But he could have just taken the slap and it not hurt him a bit, probably. That's true. Also, Flash has no way of knowing if Peter didn't give her a reason to slap him. I'm fine with Flash. I mean, we were just talking last issue about how Flash wanted to play football with him, so there's still a glimmer of hope inside that troubled boy. But like, I'm fine with him standing up for a girl who's screaming, ow, you know. I know he could have maybe chilled a little bit and asked what's going on or something instead of just going right towards the throat. But still, he came, so he, he came in on the owl. So. He did. He did. You know the ongoing debate about whether or not Flash's views of Peter Parker are somewhat justified? Uh-huh. I had an idea while I was reading this issue that what if in Flash's mind, when he's looking back on this period, he glosses over the earlier stages uh-huh. and thinks more about these stages where Peter is being socially... Oh, yeah. Rude. And Flash kind of forgets that he actually did have zero reason for bullying Peter for 10 years, but was doing it anyway. (laughs) And now Peter, as an older person, is suddenly socially, you know, not cool with being nice to Flash. Oh, my gosh. Why would that be? I guess I'll just bully him now some more. Yeah. I mean, do we ever get, like, to what extent the bullying was? Because we've only got the one issue where he's a full-on helpless wimp person. You know, um, we one. get flashback stories. Okay, um, like, like, is he getting trashed and pantsed and you know, Melvined and stuff, or is it just all talk? I'm pretty sure there's some physical stuff in there. Okay, there's a lot of talk, but I feel like I've seen young Flash hitting young Peter. Okay, in at least one comic, most of the time it's them talking about this period, and Flash is like, "Hey, you weren't an exactly a saint." Right. But I feel like maybe sometimes Peter was a jerk, but maybe Peter didn't exactly have the best social emotional adjustment because, hello, Flash, you're a jerk. Yeah, but see, then I always wonder if Flash is just translating his his uh, uh, introvertness as jerkiness also, you know, because he doesn't understand why Peter can't just be cool. Right. So he's mistranslating, which, again, is not Peter's fault. No, it's not, but... I don't know. I feel like Flash yeah. tries sometimes, and it's always rejected. <laughs> so I don't know. Anyway. But, um, but yeah, Her- uh, Norman holding the gun at the end is kind of like an oh kind of moment. Uh-huh. And that brings us to the end of our issue. Yeah. Um, so I think I think like the professor was pretty throwaway, but like the subplots and the Harry Osborne and Norman Osborne stuff was so good. Like, it was awesome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the robot action was pretty cool. They did some really, especially with the second robot. There was actually some really cool action scenes there. Yeah. And it's always going to be this like really weird element of like Norman Osborn history is like Mendel Strom being heavily involved with the earliest stages of Osborn's career. They were partners. Uh-huh. And then Osborn, you know, sent him off to prison or, or, mm. or framed him for whatever it was that they said. And so like anytime you get like this history of Norman Osborn, Strom is there. Oh. So even though he never comes back as a person, he comes back in flashbacks. Because he's dead. Yeah. Yep. He is dead, dead. One of the only characters in the Marvel Universe that stayed dead mm-hmm. so, so far until they make the, the Winter Strom, whatever. The Winter Strom <laughs> clone saga. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. 
So speaking of Avengers, should we do Avengers? The Avengers back at last. Giant Man among lies. us walks a Goliath. Truth. So both lies and truth on Avengers number 28. All right. Um, returning to their headquarters after having foiled Atuma's plan to conquer mankind, the weary Avengers are surprised to hear an urgent summons on their private alarm system. But their surprises have only begun. Brilliantly conceived by Stan Lee writer, cleverly perpetrated by Don Heck penciler, daringly executed by Frankie Ray Inker. He was, he was Frank Jacoy at another issue. Hmm. So he's still Frankie Ray here. That's weird. And stoically buried by Artie Semek letterer. Mm-hmm. Why is he burying this? I don't understand. I don't get that either. Like he, oh, he's buried. Are they saying he's dead? No, it's, it's buried by Artie Semek. Oh, Maybe burying is in putting it to bed is unfinished. I don't know. Maybe it's like bullpen slang. Maybe. So the uh, alarm communication they're getting is from good old Hank Pym. And they're like, who's Hank Pym? <laughs> and Hank says, don't you recognize the voice of Giant Man? And Captain America's like, Giant Man was really Hank Pym? I'd never have guessed. But there's no time for that now. The reason Hank Pym is calling is because the Wasp never made it home. And she's never out past curfew. So um, we saw her leave um, Atuma's ship. We didn't see her leave. We saw her on Atuma's ship. We heard that she made a successful escape. But evidently her escape never got it all the way home. And that's because she was intercepted by a nefarious fiend known as Jeff Goldblum's brother. Yes. Well, he's the collector. And the collector in the movie's... Well, the collector is the brother of the games games master games? Benicio del Toro. Yeah, and that character is Jeff Goldblum. So Benicio del Toro and Jeff Goldblum are brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, he has put the wasp wasp size in this teeny tiny little glass canister, so she can't break out and turn to full size. Um, and he, the collector, is also controlling the beetle through some some sort of like enslavement drug. So that's why the beetle was sent after the Avengers before he was sent to collect Avengers. It didn't work out too well. Um, so the Avengers, they bring Hank into their office and they're like, okay, sure. Sounds great. We don't believe that you're giant man. He's like, but I am giant man. Like, yeah, there's one way you can prove that you're giant man. He's like, I can't really do the whole size changing thing so easily. I, ch- I change sizes so much that like it started messing with my body chemistry. That's kind of one of the reasons I quit. And they're like, yeah, but you know, you should change the giant man for us. And Scarlet Witch is like, I even made a costume for you just in case you came back. And he's like, okay. He puts on the costume and they're like, okay, okay, change, change giant man. Do it. Change giant man. And he goes, Rrrr! and he's 25 feet tall. And they're like, woof, that's great. You're a giant man. Okay, not a moment to lose. Let's go save the wasp. And Hank is like, no, no way. I, I can't shrink back down for like 15 minutes. So like, oh, okay. Um, can't leave yet. Um, Mad About You's on. So they go watch <laughs> Mad About You for 15 minutes. Then they all jump in a plane. Avengers assemble. And they go off to save the wasp. I don't know exactly how they're tracking her, but that's okay. Um, they get to... <laughs> Does it say how they're tracking her? I don't know. That's a great question. I will figure that out as you keep going. They um, they go to the collector's castle and they're making their way through, but the collector has traps oh, oh, set up oh, for oh, them. Oh, I know how. How, 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 how? There was a message that said, this is the collector. If you wish to see the wasp alive, go to 
Chasm Avenue. Right. That so makes that's sense. That's how. That's how. So he, there are traps in the 221 Chasm Avenue in the castle. All the Avengers get trapped. And he's like, okay, okay, I've got all the Avengers except I need the Giant Man because I've got to have Wasp and Giant Man in order to have a complete set. So Giant Man's like, oh, check it out, though. I am Giant Man. Not anymore, though. I'm Goliath. And he switches to 25 feet tall. And Galactus is like, oh, yay, I've captured you. Except that now you're really big, so I haven't captured you yet. So um, Giant Man gets all the other Avengers free, and they chase after the Collector. And Giant Man's like, um, I, I, I can't shrink back down to chase with y'all. So y'all go on ahead, and uh, I'm just going to kind of try to get through this door. And so they start running after Collector. They fight the beetle because the beetle's there. And um, not all four beetles, just just the one. Mm-hmm. And they, um, let's see, finally, Giant Man is able to catch up to them. The Collector's there. He uses, because he collects stuff, right? And his cloak is made out of a flying carpet that he found in Persia, which is how he's able to get away from them earlier. And he also has the beans from the legend of Jack and the Beanstalk. And the legend's not exactly accurate because he just throws these beans to the ground and out come giants. So now he has giants to fight Goliath. And um, they go to town on each other, but Giant Man, of course, wins. Um, so all of the Avengers are up against the Beetle and the Collector. Um, giant Man beats the giants. I keep calling him Giant Man, Goliath. Goliath beats the giants. He picks up the Collector and the Collector's like, yeah, you don't want to hurt me because I've got Wasp in this itty bitty vial. If you hurt me, I'm just going to break the vial and kill the wasp, and you'll be super sad. Like, oh, okay, don't do that. So he sets, um, sets Collector down, and Quicksilver's like, skadoosh, and he grabs the vial right out of Collector's hand. Now they're like, we've got the wasp, and you've got nothing. And Collector says, no, I've got this time machine. And he grabs the time machine, grabs the beetle, and goes to next Tuesday, and um, they're, they're, they're all alone with the wasp, so they... they um, Let's see, Wanda uses her hex to smash the uh, glass without hurting Jan, Janet. So Janet, you know, goes back to regular size. And they're like, hey, you're not wearing a mask either. But Hank's like, don't worry about it, Janet. I, they know who I am. They can know who you are, too. She's like, thanks for making that decision for me, Hank. And um, why don't you come back down here so I can give you a kiss? He's like, okay. And he changes size. This is like, oh, no, I was, I was super big for too long. Now I... Uh, and he passes out mid-size change at 10 feet tall. And that's it. We end with him passed out on the ground as a as an almost giant. Next issue, Power Man, the Swords Man, and the Black Widow Man. Enough wow. said, man. Our first elder of the universe. Yeah, and like there's not a single thing stated here about him being an alien, is there? There's not a single thing stated about him being anything, really, yeah. Apparently, we have to go another, um, oh, more than 100 issues to get to the whole what he really is thing. Well, the next time we see him, he does have alien-like monsters in his collection. So at least implies he's an alien. That's a good point, because all these are just collections from human history stuff. Yeah, using the word history loosely. (laughs) Well, yes. But I did notice that. Like, he didn't have anything else other everything he was throwing at them was all, like, based on our myths and cultures and... Nothing mm-hmm. nothing uh, from Jupiter. So maybe they are thinking he's human at this point. A really ugly, wrinkly human with no eyeballs. Except so on you, page uh, eight. What do you think about the Collector? I like the Collector. I like the Elders of the Universe as a concept. It's all very world-building and cool Marvel stuff. I don't know if his first showing here blows my mind. 
like I like this story. There's actually a lot to like about this story, but mm-hmm. one thing I dislike is kind of like what the hell does he collect? You know, like as a collector myself or a would be collector, if I didn't shake the habit, like you got to have a theme, man. What the hell? What are yeah. you? What are you grabbing? Just everything? Because I got paper clips here. Am I collecting? I don't know. So that was a little odd. I wish they would. Yeah. I, and I know he'll get to find more later. So not he a will. huge deal. But and then killed and then revived and then. Mm-hmm. Um. So I, I like the idea of the collector. I, I feel like they've taken a kid's hobby mm-hmm. and turned it into something nefarious. Yeah. Which is something that Doctor Who is very good at. Doctor Who is very good at taking normal aspects of life and making them evil. Yeah. Um, I'm not in love with him, but it's like this kitschy cool idea. I do like the collector. Yeah. Um, the fact that he's an old man, I feel like makes more sense than him being a cosmic alien who just like collects stuff. Mm-hmm. Because, I don't know, it like broadens the scope but makes his focus less cool as a result. I agree with the theme idea. Um, back when we – you were you read those first Action Comics issues because you were on the podcast with us, right? You mean the New 52 stuff? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So Brainiac was reimagined as this collector. Uh-huh. And he would go through and collect remnants of civilizations before they got destroyed by the, um, the multitude. And so that was, you know, kind of a theme. But the collector just seems to be collecting superheroes. I think it's the cool. only thing we ever see him collecting. I'd be cool if that's all he collected. But no, he has a cape. He's got a Jack and the Beanstalk thing. He's got a, a catapult or a, what do you call it? Is it a catapult at some There's point? There's another uh, trebuchet. Whatever he sh- throws the rock at Goliath with, like one of mm-hmm. those things. Like what is any – I'd be great if he just like collected unique and interesting people or something. Right. Um. And speaking of that, so just to nitpick, and I do like this story, but I think I'm going to nitpick a bunch of things. But like where he says, like, you know, I'll, I need the giant guy to complete my set. Well, then what is complete? Because mm-hmm. as a collector, now I'm trying to define how you define complete because you did have all four current active Avengers. So you are complete in that sense. But now you're saying no giant man and wasp completes your set. But no, that's not true because if you include giant man or wasp, you also have to include Iron Man and Thor – so you're still I short. I the same thought as I was recapping. Yeah. He doesn't, if he's going for all the Avengers, he doesn't have all the Avengers. But then as you were talking just now, I was thinking, well, what if he has the Avengers, but also he managed to get the Wasp? So he feels like he needs the Wasp's partner. And you need Swordsman. He actually has two You really sets. want to be a nerd. Yeah. Um, now, we were, we were there during the Hank Pym stories. Mm-hmm. We know that he didn't exactly keep his costume identity secret. He was pretty bad at it. Yeah, I guess he was never really on blast, though, either. Right. So even though you might realize that you live next door to Hank Pym and look, that's Giant Man's house. Maybe that wasn't like something that was always talked about in the media well, or something. I remember when we were reading those, those, those really, oh my God, those stories. I'm flashing back now. But I remember like sometimes it'd feel like his identity didn't matter anymore. And we'd be like, okay, that's cool. It doesn't matter. His house just exploded because he tried to grow giant for the first time and nobody cares. Right. Mm-hmm. His literal house that he lives in with neighbors who are mowing the lawn and stuff. Like he blew through the roof as a giant person. Nobody cared. And we're just like, okay, cool. But then like the very next issue would completely undermine our thoughts on that. And he'd be really worried about his secret identity again. So it's kind of like back and forth, back and forth. And maybe it was, maybe like I said, maybe he's just really bad at keeping a secret identity. Maybe he feels like he's kept his identity secret, but hasn't really. Right. So if we're keeping track of this, 
For keeping track of this, I'm pretty sure Pietro and Wanda and Steve are all known to everybody at this point. Steve is not. They don't call him Steve? I thought they we established they started calling him Steve and he went around without his mask on the other day. Mm. I'm pretty sure Clint is still a mystery to everybody. Yeah, Hawkeye's brother is going to get a name before he does. Um, do they call him Steve Rogers? That's I a really good question. S- I swear Wanda has called him Steve. But I don't know. I thought he went out around without his mask on. and Because I remember we talked about how, like, he didn't do that until this quartet. And now that he's Who living there. He got his mask on, yeah. I just don't know if they, like, know a name to stick with the mask. Hmm. I could be wrong. But, like, they should because he's an element of history. And, yeah, he's registered with the government and everybody knows all of that stuff. So, But now the Wasp and Hank Pym are outed to at least this team. Yeah. And I feel like whenever – Whenever Captain America, like, hears Hank Pym's identity, it's almost like he's, like, fake reacting. Mm -hmm. At last, we know. High pockets his secret identity. I'd never have guessed he was Henry Pym. But there's no time for that now. Hawkeye, take the record. (laughs) When really he's thinking to himself, who the heck is Henry Pym? (laughs) I was thinking he was thinking, we knew this the entire time, but I'm just going to pretend to figure it out. Oh. Henry Pym was really bad at keeping his identity secret. Like, I was wondering why um, he would know who Henry Pym is. That's true. Well, he knew he was a biochemist in uh, that Strange Chess oh, show. Well, shoot. But or that's because his whole, or- his whole method of his power is biochemistry, right? That yeah, could be true, yeah. Um, 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 I don't know. You know what else would be uh, interesting is if you just said, can you give us your passcode instead of can you demonstrate a power that's killing you? Right. <laughs> that seems easier, right? And I, I like that element of continuity. Like we did see in the last few issues of Astonish – that Pym was having trouble with his size changing. Like they used that as a story uh-huh. idea. Yeah. Which I hadn't realized was the case. Cause I knew about this stuff. I've known about this stuff for years, but I, do you like last- that he's struggling with power changing or is that just a big drag? Um, I don't love it. I, f- I, I, I like the use of the continuity between astonish a year ago and this now, mm-hmm. but I kind of feel like I know we have our Henry Pym lovers out there. I don't dislike Henry Pym, but there's not a whole lot to him as a person. And Anymore, so using especially, his, yeah. giving him problems with his powers, is there a way of using something interesting to his story mm-hmm. rather than using him as a person? Also, the problem is like Wasp has the same power. So is she going to have problems with her powers? Because she doesn't seem to be. Right. So what's and going on there? Because she never goes big. Is that the problem? Is just stop going big and be Ant-Man again. Then? Wouldn't that be better? Right. Because I, you maybe- know, I just, I'm just picturing that for the next 15 issues there's going to be every single story is going to have a panel about how we have to wait 15 minutes for goliath um and that's going to suck okay so just to put your mind at ease on that a little bit <laughs> he's going to be stuck at 10 feet for the next issue okay but it's so just remind, to- it, it reminds me of the invisible girl always explaining to us that she can only make one thing invisible at a time and if she uses her shield <laughs> then it's not invisible anymore it's like god kill me i get it if i make this thing invisible this other thing becomes revisible but if i make this thing revisible <laughs> the other thing becomes invisible and if i use my shield everything's visible right yeah so yeah you're right you know why that that is exactly why i didn't know why but it's like the power thing was just a big drag to me and that's why because it's just a, a cheat on making something dramatic for a character when really delving into their character would be more interesting. And really on page five, when they go, when they do a whole lot of detail, like I have to, you know, I can only get this tall. I have to wait this long. Setting up all those rules early in the story is just begging to have them broken at the end of the story. Yeah. Right. It didn't go well. Right. And now things are bad. 
So do you think when Iron Man wants to rejoin the team, Wanda's going to be like, wait, I've never told any of you, but I'm an amateur smelter, and I've created an Iron Man costume? <laughs> I had the same thought. Did you say anything about her new Hulk, Iron Man, and Thor costumes that she has in the back? Like, why did she just do this for Goliath? That yeah, said, Iron Man. That said, I love this costume, and I like his name change, too. But I like this costume okay. Um, I like it more, definitely more than the blue shoulder pants thing, although that kind of grew on me by the end of that run. Um, I think his original 60s helmet is still my favorite. But well, but that, as, as Ant-Man it is, yeah. Yeah, Giant Man with the ant antenna didn't really play super well for me. Right. He never embraced the giant. He was always just like a giant Ant-Man. Right. But at the same time, I also really like his next big, I think it's his next big costume, um, where it's like red and blue and he's got yellow bug eyes going on. He's got the yellow bug eyes going on here too. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyways... He has some. He has a variety of costumes. I mean, it's kind of cool. Like the MCU is doing the same thing. It's just a giant Ant Man when he goes giant, but that helmet stays. They don't just take the helmet off and give him antenna, you know? Like, right. And it looks cool. So I guess he could figure out a way to be both. But Goliath well, does I, sound better like, than Giant Man. I like the way the movie plays that. Like he's primarily Ant Man. That's his thing. Mm-hmm. But there are occasions where going the other direction is helpful. And so occasionally he'll go big, but usually he goes small because that's all, that's and the main uh, deal. and going big is detrimental to his health too. So right, that, that works. It's always a drawback at some point. Hawkeye is in full effect in this issue, and Hank notices it after less than five minutes. Oh yeah, I love that. That was actually a cool beat. Like Goliath not understanding why there's someone on the team who's not being cool like everybody else. Because back in mm-hmm. my day, we were all cool. Except for how we bullied the Hulk. But, you know, we don't talk about that. <laughs> yeah, we got rid of him fast, so. <laughs> Nobody wanted him on the team anyway. Right. But even in his mind, Hawkeye's like, I always hoped Methuselah would have one day retire, that I could be the leader. But now with Goliath here, oh, oh man. Oh, yeah. And, and maybe that's being so rude. He's just, like, experiencing disappointment and has no emotional maturity whatsoever. I don't know. Maybe. But then later he does have thought balloon, or he does have some uh, we got to save cat moments, too, which is nice. Oh, yeah. and then he and Cap, I really like that scene. I actually like that scene a lot. Which and one? I, and I think I like it a lot because they fight each other so much that it's neat to see them work together. Hawkeye, maneuver nine, fast. And she's oh, like, yeah. she's like, what's that? He's like, don't worry about it, lady. And they do it, and they still give each other a hard time, but obviously they've been practicing that, and I just thought that was neat that they work together. And I actually, like, I, was, I was visually playing that out. Like Hawkeye, he sees Cap falling, he visually projects the like where he's gonna hit, mm-hmm. and like he shoots a shoots an arrow in his path that he can grab. Mm-hmm. Basically, and so if so if, I, if if Cap is doing more than just falling vertically, if he's moving through the air, then Hawkeye has to do some like arc projection. It's like much obliged, loud much much obliged, loud mouth. Don't mention it, Winghead. So they're like friends. They are. They work together. That's as friendly as they get. But it's nice. Uh, um. Go ahead. Hank talks about how Cap is doing really well as a leader of the Avengers. And I was just mm-hmm. like, okay, I know that we were there and we talked about it at the time, but Cap is always in sort of the mindset as being the default Avengers leader. And mm-hmm. that didn't start until this team started. Right. Up the, until then. The Wave 1 Avengers didn't think of Cap as their leader. Wave, wave 1 Avengers had rotating chairmanship and they would say things out loud like, we have to follow any order any Avenger gives us. Mm-hmm. in combat. So that's not confusing. Mm-mm. So yeah, until this took over and then he was like the veteran of five whole days and 
got to be the leader. But it makes sense. Um, I, the Beetle mentions his obedience potion he's been forced to take, which is just yeah, sort of like dotting yeah. our T's and crossing our I's and what's going on with the Beetle. So here's a big, I don't know if it's a criticism, but like it ultimately it all works out. But there was a lot of off-camera what's going on stuff that finally resolves. Like like you mentioned in uh, The Last Avengers or two Avengers ago, there's just a caption telling us that the Wasp escaped, right? Uh-huh. And then in here, there's a thought bubble of her saying, I made it all the way to Avengers Mansion before something snatched me. So does that mean she was there when Hawkeye got home because that's who snatched her was the Beetle? <gasps> you know what I mean? They don't ever show that, but that had to be what happened, right? That makes a lot of sense. But you're right. They don't. That's one dot. They didn't connect. Okay. So if so, the person who's plotting this is doing a much better job at coming up with stories and the person who's scripting it. The person mm-hmm. who's scripting it is not following all the beats. Right. So it's like I kind of have to read between the lines that she made it back to HQ and was immediately probably pocketed by the Beetle. And then the Beetle hid in the closet because he heard Hawkeye come home. And then he snuck out, well, I'll catch this guy too. And it didn't work out, but he escaped with the Wasp at least. And then it turns out the whole reason he's doing all that is because he's got a obedience potion. And somehow the Collector thinks that the Beetle can take on all the Avengers by himself. Well, you know, he's got all those gadgets. Captain America says Beetle can be up to anything. I think Beetle was there to get an Avenger. The fact that it was Hawkeye is just whoever was there at the time, and the Wasp was an unexpected bonus. Yeah, sure. I'm sure it was random, but I just think that he's the one who kidnapped her in the first place, because who else could it yeah. be, right? Yeah, you're right. While, while, while I was recapping, I was kind of wondering, well, how did the Wasp actually get here? Right. But, she just thinks it at some point on page uh, three. She thinks, uh, but how? By whom? The last I remember, I had reached Avengers headquarters. Uh, radioed Hank that I'd return right away and then blackness. So theoretically, right. she got shrunkeded by... Well, the, the previous page, Stan says, we thrilled the Jans escape together in Avengers 26, right? No. Nope. Right. No, we didn't. No, you did not we, show us that. <laughs> you told not. it to us in the caption. <laughs> right. Um, even though he doesn't fare very well, I really like the Beetle versus Cap fight. Uh, mm-hmm. Beetle kicks some butt there. That's a pairing that doesn't happen very often. He ought to be a Spider-Man villain because he's pretty tough. He's going to be a Daredevil villain for a while before he's Spider-Man. His next appearance is Daredevil and like several of his next appearances are Daredevil. But he does become a Sinister Six person at some point. Um, Deadly Foes. I'm not sure if he's ever Sinister Six. Oh. Um, But the Deadly Foes team, which has another name before their Deadly Foes in Spider-Man miniseries. I want to say something like the Crime Syndicate, but I know that's wrong because I know that's JLA stuff. But the Beetle and Speed Demon and Hydra Man and right stuff and like Boomer. that. That was my '80s reading, I think. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that was, a, that was a good, good, good period. Good stuff. Yeah, um, but yeah, I'm good with this. This was fun. Um, the only thing I didn't—he can't shrink too soon, but then also he can't stay a different size for too long. Right. So, boy, that's a complicated problem. Yeah, he's definitely having some issues here, and honestly, this run with Giant Man and the Avengers, whenever I think, outside of the show, before we did the show, if I would think Giant Man and the Avengers, this is the run I would think of, where he's like having power problems, and this is going to go through a few iterations, maybe, but it's, it's, it's going to kind of be a background plot for Giant Man's involvement in the story for several issues. Ever since Ant-Man learned to grow, he has thematically, dramatically, and now physically sucked. It's bad. He goes from... Z- Hero to zero pretty quickly in the collector fight. Like they all have to run off without him. 
But even in his own book, like I got way less interested in him once he started mm-hmm. being Giant Man. It was weird. Um, the only other note I had on this is when the villains depart, uh, a lot of times in Marvel, especially during this age, when you s- see a villain, you hear about how they got from their last story to this story. Mm-hmm. That doesn't happen with either the Collector or the Beetle. The next time they show up, they show up separately in two different stories, and neither one of them mentions this story and how it ended. So my headcanon is that the Beetle and the Collector, they do their time travel thing, they go to next Tuesday, and the Collector decides that having Beetle with him as he goes back into space doesn't make any sense. So he lets the Beetle go. Mm. And so the Beetle goes off and does whatever until Daredevil 51. I thought you were going to say they go on a dream vacation, become lovers, then break up horribly and decide to just not talk about it ever again. That's what I said. We're going to change it to that. <laughs> I figured that's where you were going because you're John Wilson. But <laughs> Never mind. Never mind. We'll just put that in there instead. <laughs> you're really influencing me these days, apparently. Okay. Fantastic Four. Fantastic Four, number 51. This man, dot, dot, dot. This monster, exclamation point. Uh, one of the most classic covers ever for Fantastic Four, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, quite possibly, this may be one of the greatest illustrated epics yet produced by Stanley writer Jack Kirby Penciler, Joe Sinnott, inker, Artie Sebeck, letterer. It starts again with this man, this monster, and the thing standing in the rain looking depressed. He just came from the whole Galactus fight where, if we recall, he thinks he was jilted by Alicia for the Silver Surfer, but it's all a misunderstanding, of course, because Alicia loves him. But he's just walking around the rain. The cops are like, oh, are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. Then Cro-Magnum Lex Luthor finds him um, <laughs> from last issue, that guy that never really had a name. And he just said he was going to destroy the world someday. He finds him. He invites him in for coffee. He listens to his problems. At some point, he talks about how much he hates Reed Richards, sort of, but whoops, that just sort of slipped out. And then things like, wow, I'm really tired. All of a sudden I should go home. It's like, no, just sleep on the couch. Well, it turns out that coffee was spiked and the thing is unconscious. And the dude has in his closet what he calls a uh, duplication process. And he hooks the thing up to this machine, Kirby machine, and then he hooks himself up to a Kirby machine. And he tastely turns into the thing. And the thing turns into Ben Grimm. So it's really more of a power-stealing thing than a duplication thing. We can get into that later. Uh, so then we're cut back to the Fantastic Four, and they're having that same old argument, the, the Reed Richardses, and that he wants to keep working through dinner. And she's like, but I married you to have dinner with you. And by the way, what's that weird secret thing you got going in that room over there? But before he can answer, Lex Luthor thing comes in. And they're like, oh, Thing, where have you been? He's like, oh, I've just been around. It's fine. He's like, Thing, help us move this giant thing from one thing to another. At least it's not of them, right? And (laughs) he's like really excited that he can lift it with one hand. And he's like showing off. And Reed Richards is like, what is going on with you? You're acting so weird. And that's when human Ben Grimm comes in, the real one, says, that's because he's not me. I'm me. And they're like, what? That's not even possible. That's not like how science works. And the fake thing picks up a big steel rod and crushes it and says, see, only the real thing can do that. And Reed Richards and Sue are like, yeah, he does seem like the real thing because he crushed that thing. But you sure do look like Ben Grimm. And Ben Grimm's like, ugh, you're the smartest, you're the dumbest smart guy I know. And he storms off, basically. Um, So after they leave, he's like, okay, well, that was weird. But anyway, thing, Ben, let me tell you about 
what I've been doing. Ever since we were attacked by Galactus, like I've been worried that we're going to get attacked by other things. And one of the thing things that uh, you know Galactus and Silver Surfer and the Watcher can do is they all, they can all seem to like travel faster than light. So we need to figure out how to do that too. So behind this door that you were asking me about, Sue, is this really cool uh, giant Kirby invention that's going to let me like travel subspace a la TNG. So I've tethered myself and I want you to hold on to it, fake thing. And I'm going to go in there and check out what all this is about. And they're all panicking, but he's just, you know, determined to do it. Cut to college or actually we cut to the cozy campus coffee shop which is around college, a college hangout. Um, and Wyatt Wingfoot and Johnny Storm are chilling, just talking. That obnoxious uh, Whitey Mullins guy who's like the star quarterback and thinks he can do no wrong, he can do whatever he wants because they can't kick him off the team, decides to like pick on Johnny. All you know, They're like, hey, can you show us that you're the human torch? So he lights his thumb on fire all casual-like, but then the Whitey guy like, pours water on his head so that gets johnny in his face but then wyatt stands up who's like taller and wider than everybody else in the room and he says fighting no more and they all stop uh especially since the coach also butts in and whitey's like you can't tell me what to do i can fight whoever i want do whatever i want because i'm the most talented football player ever and he leaves uh the coach is like Wyatt Wingfoot, you, you're related to Will Wingfoot, right? The greatest Olympic decathlon star the country has ever had? He's like, yes, he was my father. Cool, you could join the football team. No, I will not play sports. Ah! So he goes back and this coach guy who's obviously going to become some sort of supervillain pretty soon uh, is losing his mind to his wife again about how he like cannot – get this team to work because Whitey's horrible. And if only he could get Wyatt on the team, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, back to Reed about to jump into a thing and commit suicide and the evil thing holding onto the tether and Sue panicking. He of course doesn't listen. He jumps into the, the dealio and he gets sucked into like a Steve Ditko kind of dimension. It's actually more, much more Jack Kirby, but same idea. No floor, no ceilings, no roofs, no gravity. He actually can't even control his progress. He's kind of like riding on these rocks. And he's now headed towards Earth. And everything in subspace is negative while Earth is positive. So all the stuff being sucked into the Earth is blowing up. And he's like, oh, I should probably get out of here. So he pulls on the tether. And on the other end... We have Evil Thing kind of having a crisis. He's like, I've always hated Reed Richards. I've always been jealous of him. But it turns out that it's not really his fault that I'm not the best scientist, the most known scientist in the world. It's probably because I wasn't willing to do what he does. He's a hero. He's sacrificing himself right now to save the world. And he's not even asking for any notoriety. There's no newspapers here. There's no journalists. He's just doing it because it's the right thing to do. And gosh, maybe this whole time... I've been hating the wrong person. And while he's thinking about all that, Sue's like, um, the tether, the tether, pull on the tether. And he's like, oh, I didn't even notice. And he goes to pull it, but it's too late. It snaps. And Sue freaks out. And Evil Thing goes, don't worry about it. I got it. And he jumps into the subspace machine and manages to grab onto the other end of the tether where he is pulled in onto the same rock that Reed Richards is you know, living on. And he's like, Ben, why did you come in here? You just sacrificed yourself. There's no way for any of us to get out of here now. 
and the evil thing's like, ah, there's one way. And he picks up Reed Richards and he tosses him back with his super thing strength. He tosses him back to the, the portal entrance, basically. And then he just sits on a rock and goes, well, I had a bad life and I didn't really live up to people's expectations of me. But at the very least, I've, in the end, I found a friend and he dies. And once he dies, it cuts to Ben, who's knocking on the door, Alicia's door. And just before she answers it, he magically turns back to the thing because the dude who stole his powers is dead. So I guess it reverts back. And he panics and he runs away. And Alicia opens the door and is like, who was there? Someone I loved? Uh. Uh, Reed comes back. Sue's like, oh, thank you, darling. They both cry about how the thing is dead. The thing walks in on that. And he's like, wow, I guess they do like me. He's like, I told you that dude was evil. And he wasn't really me. And they're like, oh, my God, thing, you're really alive. We're sorry we didn't believe you. Um, 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 and then they kind of just lament that the dude paid the price for uh, what he did. But also that he, in the end, he became a hero maybe because he also stole that from the thing as well. In the end. Next issue, Black Panther. So evidently the universe feels that there must always be a thing. I guess so. I mean, it's not a duplication process when you're the only one who can be the thing, really. Yeah, it's I was trying like, to figure out how to wrap my brain around the whole, like, why does he revert after the other thing dies? And the best, you know, nonsense explanation I can come up with is that, like, he hasn't actually duplicated the thing, but more like he's doing a constant powers. borrow yeah. of the thing. Yeah, yeah, And so yeah. whenever he disappears is the borrow where it snaps back to him. That's what I figure, too. I don't know how sciencey that is, but it, that's what had to have happened, right? Something like that. But that just means his, the name of his device is stupid because it's not the duplication machine. It's like it's the borrowing machine. Right. And maybe he doesn't understand his own science. Maybe he like made maybe. this thing and thinks it's doing one thing and doesn't understand. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Other than that, though, I really like this issue. Yeah. Yeah. This issue is like in lists as iconic oh, yeah. Silver Age Marvel drama. Yeah. Um. After having like an iconic Silver Age Marvel epic event story, following it up with a pathos character driven story is a fantastic choice. And the cover is amazeballs. Uh huh. The thing is wrenched with agony over himself. And in the background, there's like superhero shenanigan, you know, suspense going on, but he's like having to wrestle with his own existence before he can address that. He's ignoring Reed in danger, and Sue's like pleading and pointing, hey, look behind you. And he's not, because he's too busy being sad. Yeah. It's awesome. And also, this first splash page is very iconic. I mean, I've seen that everywhere. Um, you know what this reminds me of, oddly, is that freaking Daredevil uh, Ox story, too, in a way, where they swap, but then they start, yeah. they start taking on the characteristics of what they swapped with. I was thinking that we'd had a story just like this recently. <laughs> So, like, they were like, because this happened, like, this dude, I guess we could argue either way. Either he just had a, he just had a crisis of conscience or whatever, or he realized the whole time he's been hating the wrong thing and, and he should be more heroic like Reed Richards. Or they also hint at the idea that, like, he's not feeling himself anymore. He's, he's like taking on the traits of Ben Grimm too, not just the physical. And that's the same thing that happened with the ox and the scientist guy. Yeah, and I had an explanation for it with them. I don't really have it with this because intelligence because, and personality are two very different things. Because Ben does not start becoming evil that we know. Right. Unless right. he well, does. He, unless he will. Basically, he's just Ben. Yeah. And, and that's the thing is like the other guy doesn't – he doesn't even change 
span except to undo his thingness. And well, there's nothing about that that makes him turn into I, – I, I, I don't know. I am fine with it just being him because that's awesome and dramatic and cool. Mm-hmm. Um, someone just changing their mind about not being as jerky as they should be and like sacrificing themselves. That's pretty heroic. That's pretty neat. It is. I like those. I, I'm a fan of characters who start out wrong and, and work it out. You know, That's in a way more interesting than uh, people who are just right all the time, I guess. Even though my favorite character is Captain America and he's right all the time. But, <laughs> but you know, like Scourge from uh, 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 Ragnarok. I love that in the end he decides, screw this, and he gets out his the big guns and, and turns on uh, what's-her-face and all that, you know, and dies for his trouble. That's cool. It is very cool. Same idea. Um, that first page uh-huh. is so beautiful. Yeah. When I was looking at it, though, my brain started singing. In the rain? It won't rain all the time. Oh. From the crow. Uh, okay. It's cool that Kirby can make a person with no real facial expression look sad. Looks so sad. Yeah. And miserable in the rain. I I am definitely convinced that the thing has emotional issues that if this was the 80s, he'd be seeing a counselor or something. Right. And I totally buy into why he – like he has these these super highs of like loving being the thing and loving Alicia. And then he just gets so easily put down into this I'm a monster, you know, mental dump that he gets stuck in. And I totally buy that that would happen. I think so too. And like – and it's not just that. We've seen him say other things that like indicate that there are definitely some unresolved issues inside him. Mm-hmm. So yeah, seeing a therapist would be definitely good. Is it is it weird that mysterious bald science Lex Luthor dude uh-huh. actively has the thought, I decided to switch with the thing because we have the same eyebrows? <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny. They don't really explain the origin of his eyebrows, but... Nope, he just has them. And he's like, okay, well, since we're being drawn the same way... We're gonna we're gonna swap some bodies. He uh, doesn't have a name at all, does he? I don't remember them saying one, and maybe it gets like given to him later. But no. I didn't go looking in the appearance lists with he, this issue to see who it might be. He's dead. He is dead. The scene with Reed and Sue you were talking about, and um, Reed is still obsessed with his like current project, and mm-hmm. we've seen him do that before. But he's being nice about it mm-hmm. for once. But then they go to the whole like. He has a locked room with a secret project that he's hoping Sue doesn't even realize exists. And that's not great. You can't put an armor around the world. Oh, wait, wrong character. <laughs> but that's basically what's going on here. I liked the tie-in to like him being panicked because of Galactus. Like He didn't just drop that. Right. There's more things and, out there. So I need to be Reed Richards and prep for this stuff. And you know what this place is that they go to, right? The negative zone, right? Yeah, this is the first. They're not calling it that yet, but this is the first no. appearance of the negative zone. They're calling it. This is the second appearance of the negative zone because the first one was the dumb appearance in Immortals. But yeah, oh, the Inhumans. Uh, I mean, humans. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's only the, that's only a first appearance of the negative zone <laughs> if we count Armor Frog as the first appearance of the Punisher, <laughs> which of course we do on this show. <laughs> uh, yeah. They okay. So the the four meet Ben. He shows up on their doorstep, and they knew him for years. But they haven't seen him for years. So it almost feels believable that they're like, you look a lot like Ben. And that's really weird. But there's only one Ben. Mm-hmm. And it's the thing. So. Well, I do think they acted really dumb in this scene, though, because literally before he shows up, Reed's like, you're acting really weird. That is true. 
there were some flags. What's gotten into you, big fella? And then immediately there's an explanation as to what got into him. And his idea of proof is that he can crush things. It's like, okay, I guess. But if he stole things body, of course he can crush things. And Reed Richards has had his body stolen before. So right. So yeah, I agree. He should definitely be like, okay, we have a problem. Let's figure this out. Okay. He does have a name and I'm so happy. I don't know where the name comes from. And he's What's only in these two issues, 50 and 51. But somewhere in this issue, he's called Ricardo Jones. <laughs> I don't think he is. I bet you that's like a, a handbook entry or something. It's got to be, right? Or did they just make it up for this website because they needed a name? Ricardo Jones? Uh, <laughs> I, I would put down money that that's a handbook or like like those index issues they would do in the 80s that like list all the comics. Yeah, I'm trying to see if there's some sort of note that explains like where they got the name, but there isn't. This is on the Reading Order website I was looking at. Marvelreading.com? Yeah. It's a good site. It is. Anyway, um, that's funny if that's his name. <laughs> Sue is like really having to bully Reed into telling her what kind of danger he's about to put himself in. Like he's all strapping himself to like sacrifice his life. He's like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Why is this dangerous? Mm-hmm. Take me with you. What are we doing? What? And he's like, I can't tell you. I can't tell you. I must not. And it's just... And then he it's finally does, and he's like, I guess I owe you that much. He's like, owe her that much? You owe her everything. What are you talking about? You're married. Right. And then she's like, I should go with you. He's like, no, no, you should stay here. But you don't know what kind of danger you're going to hit, and I can make you invisible, and I can also put force fields around you. Oh, just the fact that you'll be waiting for me in loving arms when I return is all I need, little woman. So you remember back in Strange Tales, whenever they pretended Johnny was in high school for the first couple issues and then just stopped pretending? Mm-hmm. And we talked about how, like, if they had used those ideas more and pursued more of a Superboy kind of dynamic with him, mm-hmm. then it might have worked better as a series. Mm-hmm. For sure. It have been in Spider-Man. But, but still, this feels odd here. Like, with Whitey Mullins and Wyatt Wingfoot and College Campus, this, yeah. this feels strange for Johnny. To me, not to you? No, I kind of enjoyed it. I don't okay. know why. I just thought it was interesting, like... That was one of the things I wanted to see, like, his high school and how he juggles with, like, being a known personality. And I guess the fact that we haven't really done that is part of why it just, yeah. it just feels unusual. Yeah, it is unusual for him, but it, I don't know. I, I found it entertaining anyway. I don't know what's up with this coach. I feel like he's collapsing in a way that's going to make him the next Green Goblin or something because, like, he just gets really upset every time he's made an appearance so far. Yeah, he's, he's down on his luck with his career. Whitey Mullins is totally walking over him. His name is still Whitey. Is he going to become, like, thing. the sports master? <laughs> oh, no. Oh, I don't think I told you this last time. I found out there's another meaning for the word whitey besides the obvious. Okay. Like, you can get so high that everything sort of whites out around you. Okay. And, like, you don't pass out. It's just kind of like this really, you know, like, bizarre state. And they call it having a whitey. Huh. I don't, I've never experienced this, so I'm just going strictly off of Urban Dictionary. Why would they but call it, it that? That's weird. Dude, Ricardo Jones, I'm not to keep harping on this, but if you Google that, it's everywhere. So something must have started <laughs> Ricardo Jones, and that's just going to be his name forever. Anyway. It's definitely documented somewhere. It's got to be. You know what did work for me, though, that usually doesn't? Yes. Is the, uh, the photo collage. Heck yeah. Page 14. Yeah. That was This rad. one really, really works. It really does. Uh, it's very famous too, it seems. Maybe it's because the realistic elements aren't made to look too realistic. Mm-hmm. And there's the, a really good combination of photos with actual drawn art. Yeah, that could be. It's just not like a 
sky or a landscape or something like that. Yeah. It's just weird geographical fig- or shapes and stuff. The Epcot Center. Geometric shapes. Yeah. That's the I word. really like it. Yeah. That's cool. Now, um, what I don't understand is if he was on Earth and he jumps into subspace and now he's being pulled into Earth, it's like, shouldn't he be already on Earth? How's this work? I don't get it. You know what I mean? I don't. Say that again. Okay. So he's on Earth and his machine's on Earth. He opens the door and he steps into subspace. Uh-huh. And now he's on this rock being pulled to Earth. Oh, I see. So isn't isn't subspace also in Earth? Wasn't he already in Earth? Or does it automatically make you travel and then get pulled back to Earth? I don't huh. know. I don't know. Because now he's outside of Earth. Yeah, he's like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know the fact either. that Earth's even there feels weird. Like, it should be something different. Yes, exactly. So that part bothered me a little bit, but that's okay. Whatever. Did you ever see that movie? I think it was like 85, 86. It was House. Uh, had William Cat and George Went. Uh, no. It's like a, a haunted house, and this author inherited it, and he was going there to like write a novel, but his great aunt had just killed herself in it, and it's haunted by ghosts, including his old Vietnam buddy. Anyway, it's, it's a movie that's... It definitely has its share of spooky, but it also kind of lampoons some spooky elements. Mm-hmm. It's just one of those movies we had on tape as a kid. So I've seen it a zillion times. Mm-hmm. And there's this really big dramatic scene where he's got a harpoon going through this portal to the evil world. And like, it's very similar to the whole thing holding on to the, the rope thing there. Okay. Um, where the person he's trying to get uh, get a hold of goes to the portal and he's trying to hold onto the rope of the rope of the rope and ends up getting away. Um, so every time I've read this, I flash back to house in 1985. Okay. I don't do scary. Also, you movies. should watch house. It's a fun film. Okay. It had the word haunted in it. So I don't know. We'll see. Oh, that's right. Cause you don't like scary. It's really not that scary. I'm sure it's not. If it's from the eighties. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it, it has a few creepy moments, but they're, they're, they're pretty tame, especially by today's standards. But yeah, I don't, I don't have anything else for this unless you do. No. I think it's just a really good, solid issue, though. I guess Ben showing up to Alicia's door all dressed up in his best Sunday suit mm-hmm. and then turning into Thing is like the worst thing ever. It is, except she already knows he's the Thing, and she didn't know he changed in the first place. So why panic about it? But I guess he just wasn't expecting it, so I could see that. Yeah, he has issues. Shocking somebody, yeah. Or no, because he thinks that she loves Silver Surfer because he looks like the Thing, so he didn't want her... To see the thing again. Oh, that's right. He still thinks that she's jilted him. Mm-hmm. Now, <laughs> and he thought I, hum- I like this he issue. thinks that human Ben Grimm can like compete with Silver Surfer. Oh, that's that's really sad. That's silly. Yeah, I so, like this issue. Uh-huh. There's a lot of good stuff. Uh-huh. The best part of this issue uh-huh. is the next issue box. Black Panther. The Black Panther is coming next issue. Yeah, I like you that. I liked uh, Ricardo. Whatever sacrificing himself. That was pretty awesome. <laughs> Ricardo Jones. No, it's a good issue. I just kind of hyped for Black Panther. Yeah. I don't think I've ever read Black Panther's first appearance, so I'm holding my breath to see like how it's how it holds up, but we'll see. Yeah. Um I feel like it's not that bad, but we'll see how it goes in the reread. Well, we have definitely taken our time with these issues, but we're not quite done yet because we've reached the end of a month. We have. And that requires a certain ritual that we call lots of things, but today we're gonna call it our favorite ups and our favorite our our least favorite downs. There you go. Um, and I had the page all drawn up and I used that tab to start searching other things. So let's see. Okay. Quick review of where we've been. Ready? Mm-hmm. 
not necessarily Owen the Ward, we covered them. Daredevil 16, teaming up with Spider-Man, or sorry, facing off with Spider-Man. Uh-huh. Tales to Astonish 80, where we have Submariner fighting Behemoth to the depth, and then Hulk and Tyrannus and the Mole Man. We have Thor 128, with the power of Pluto, and then the Ragnarok Aftermath and the backup strip. We have the X-Men 20 with Lucifer. Uh, Amazing Spider-Man 37. We talked about this issue. Uh-huh. Avengers 28. We talked about this episode of Fantastic 451. Sergeant Fury 30, where he surrenders in Italy. And then they fight their way out and meet Sophia Loren. Mm-hmm. Strange Tales 145, where the eggs hatch. And they beat um, friggin' who are they? Uh, Mentolo and the no. This is the no, druid. The druid. The this druid. is the druid. Mm-hmm. We beat the druid, and then we have that um, Mr. Rasputin versus Doctor Strange story. Mm-hmm. And finally, tells the suspense seventy eight from this episode with Captain America and Nick Fury versus the um, them's humanoid and Iron Man versus Ultimo, and he loses his uh, fortune. Mm-hmm. Um, to my mind. There is nothing really in the middle. There are a few stories down on my list mm-hmm. and everything else is high on my list yep. and I don't know what I'm going to do. Well, I know my least favorite is Lucifer, so let's just get that out of the way. Okay, we're, we're leasting the Lucifer. Because that's just, you know, who likes Lucifer? Nobody. Although, dang, I forgot that the blob and stuff was in it and that part was kind of cool. But anyway, yeah, still Lucifer. I don't care. Too insulting. Um, and my favorite... Man, I kind of want to pick Daredevil just because that ending was so spectacularly fun to like cliffhang on. Mm-hmm. But the rest of it was just kind of a misunderstanding. Spider-Man had a lot of cool subplot. I think I just have to pick Fantastic Four, though. I mean, there's just no way around that. So that is my answer. FF51, Fantastic Four, take it again because they are the world's greatest comic magazine. So I'm tossing it between Doctor Strange and the X-Men. Doctor Strange was not great, but I don't think it's, like, worse than it has what some, been. What were some good things about Doctor Strange? Well, like, it's not any worse than it has been, you know? It's, like, the same. It's, like, you're getting what you're getting, I guess. Yeah, but it's been pretty consistently in my bottom spot. So that well, <laughs> that is true. If it's not any worse than it has been, it's still it's low I'm spot. trying to remember what the heck even happened, so I guess that's a bad sign, huh? Uh, Rasputin came to life or something? Or yeah. no, his, his ancestor came to life? You know what it was? It didn't resolve the Dormammu problem. So that's actually that's insulting. the thing. It's like it's the penultimate chapter in the Dormammu thing. And it does nothing and, about it. Uh, yeah. The Eternity Saga. All of that gets mentioned in the opening caption and then it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You're right. I almost wonder if Ditko knows that he's leaving and he has these other stories that are like he was leaving in a, sh- in a drawer for later. Mm. And he's just like shoved him into the saga before he wraps everything up for his last issue. Other than Rasputin coming to the States, I honestly have zero recollection of what happened. So maybe that is the worst story than X-Men. But X-Men is so insulting to me because Lucifer is responsible for Professor X's, uh, you know, injury. Come on. Agreed. That's a horrible story. Um, well, I'm just going to stick with my guns. Okay. I want to say Dr. Strange. <laughs> okay. Um, my favorite. Oh, God. Daredevil was good. Spider-Man is key issue historically mm-hmm. um a lot of stuff in avengers was good thor was solid as heck yeah um strange tales wasn't horrible S- sitwell was fun 
Oh, the revival of Sitwell. I love Sitwell. Yeah. What he, if I chose Sitwell? He did most of the work. He did. Um, Submariner and what else did he do? Oh, Hulk. Submariner's Find the Behemoth. Hulk. That's the other one. Dwell in the Depths. Yeah. Eh. And those two, like if there are any that are in the middle, those two are in the middle. They weren't great. Yeah. They weren't bad. They were just comics. Yeah. Well, I feel that way about Fury and Strange Tales too. So, um, The first half of Fury was really good. Yeah. Hmm. Rawhide Kid, 52. <laughs> monsters to laugh with. No, that's Monsters Unleashed. Sorry. Oh, Too many comedy monsters comics. There's another collector's item this month. And I only say that because every time we just completely skip over it, what's his face Twitters us and says, hey, you didn't talk about like how they disclosed Stanley's diary in this issue. Oh, okay. So yeah, if there's anything cool in that collector's item classics issue, let us know. Yeah. We'll talk about it in a... Because we didn't if look. If you let us know emails, we'll be sure to get it on the feedback episode. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to eeny, meeny, miny, moe it. Okay? Okay. And um, I want to give it to the Spider-Man. Okay. That's pretty legit. I thought about that. And crazily enough, it's my first time to pick Spider-Man this year. Really? Well, it's been a bad year. It's been a bad year. Well, yeah. It's been, it's been a, a bad, a bad several issues from Ditko. Yeah, yeah. But I have a feeling that's going to change pretty soon in fact april of 65 between april of 65 and now i have chosen spider-man once but you know what you're gonna do next issue and the issue after that you're gonna pick spider-man again and again i am not gonna pick spider-man next issue but the one next issue but that one after it (laughs) the one after it we both are the one after that yeah 39 and 40 we'll see 39 and 40 are really really great issues they're really solid really important but they're also very expositiony so i'm just not sure i'm going to feel about on this particular read Uh, Um, i'm looking forward to them but i'm curious to see what my reaction is but anyways i have um drug out the end of this episode way too far so i guess time to wrap things up um next episode we'll be covering four more stories the x-men 21 daredevil 17 Thor 129 and Tales to Astonish 81. Where can they find us, Mike? I'll be quick. You can find us at makearsmarvel.com or type makearsmarvel into a podcast app or write to us at podcast at makearsmarvel.com. Um, I'm on Twitter, John Reads Comics. Mike's on Twitter, Kaiser the Great. My other podcasts are on Twitter, pinned on my page. Return to Cybertron and Transformers UK podcast, all the pouches and image comics podcast, and my Logan Says Chuck Twitter feed are all there. Um, and that's our episode. So until next time, or until the collector decides he really needs to collect Howard the Duck, make ours marvel. marvel.